Welcome, health enthusiasts. You're tuned in to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, your one-stop shop for all things health, wellness, and innovation. We're here to shake up the status quo in health, making it sustainable, equitable, accountable, and oh-so-patient-centric. I'm Greg Masters, your co-host and executive producer, and I'm joined by the digital health aficionado himself, author, global thought leader, and might I add, in his executive capacities, steward servant, Gil Bash. Greg, thank you. Thank you so very much for a gracious welcome. And, you know, people often know us together as a as a partnership on, on the show with you as executive producer and making things happen. You know, today I'm, a, I guess I'm a guest on the, on the, on the show itself and you're the host. So I couldn't have a, a better host to, to welcome me onto the show. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad you're here. And for those of you listening in, thank you for your tolerance of our variation from our program format here today. Gil's in the box and I get to ask him questions. At Health Unabashed, we're on a mission to bring you the people, the ideas, and the companies that are making a difference. They're not just talking the talk, but they're walking the walk. On today's special menu, my colleague and co-pilot at Health Unabashed is in the box. For those of you following our work, Gil is no stranger to you. If you're new to the show or the Healthcare Now radio lineup of 24-7, 365 high-quality broadcast and on-demand productions, today's special episode officially concludes Season 2 of Health and a Bash and is titled Gil Bash, From Battlefield to Boardroom. So let's jump right in. Gil has championed well-being from the trenches to the top tiers of the corporate world. His uniquely flavored journey has seen him don many hats or caps, maybe a better description, from serving in an elite military unit to lobbying for industries to steering the ship at a worldwide health, life sciences, health tech, and biotech agency to making impactful decisions in public service and private equity realms. Gil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a weird experience, Greg, to sort of be a guest on the program itself, but I'm, I'm thrilled and particularly thrilled to be with you because I, you know, through the years, I've had such admiration for you and what you're doing. Uh, I just want to highlight for our listeners that uh, Greg, who's really known for his work with Healthcare Now Radio, is a expert in public policy and public health. He also has a radio show and um, he's been in the field, particularly during the, uh, the years of COVID. Uh, Greg was on the front lines as a statistician, as a policy advisor to uh, state government. And um, it, he really is someone who interviews people or welcomes people from the point of view of, of, of a low-key, humble expert. Uh, but, you know, Greg is truly a, a national expert. And when we have a chance to be together at many of these uh, health conferences I am not surprised. I'm my heart is always warm to see how many people who are on that you know sort of main stage of speakers run over to Greg and pump his hand and welcome him. But Greg is the um is a gentle giant and I guess really defines that expression lions don't need to roar. So Greg, thank you so much for uh, for noting that this is the end of season 2 and I, I just want to l- tell our our listeners that I was thrilled to learn that we've been re-upped for season three. So obviously we have a strong listener 
uh, fan base, and I want to thank all of them. I want to welcome our new listeners to the show. But hey, three seasons, um, that's pretty impressive. So I guess um, the ratings must be there. And thank you, Greg, for making that happen. Well, my pleasure. It's been my honor to serve with you. And thank you for that lovely um, characterization of my my world, so to speak. Okay, so from battlefield to boardroom suggest you've immersed yourself in and around conflict, both of the military and shall we say corporate variety, and that would include their remedies or strategies to remediate. So let's start at the battlefield, then pivot to the boardroom or rooms, we can safely assume. So place us in both theaters and walk us through your journey and vision. Give us the when, the why or calling, and the how of your uniquely eclectic career glide path took shape and continues to align purpose with results required to sustain a viable business in a volatile, yet often calcified legacy ecosystem in search of enterprise meaning and value. Let me let me start at the battlefield. That I was in the battlefield actually, in reality, though this will be surprising to the listeners, is is not a surprise. The actual battlefield is not a surprise. That I became a um a paratrooper to those who know me from way back when, again, it's not a surprise. That was a an aspiration that goes back to uh to childhood, as as strange as that might seem. Uh, My father was in the military. He served in the Korean War, uh, was the recipient of two bronze stars. But something happened in his family's life, my family's life, that changed the trajectory of our lives forever. And that is his younger, slightly younger brother, um, who I'm named after, was also serving in the same theater of combat and was... um, was killed in an action, died in combat, killed in action, as they say. His body was recovered and brought back to the States. And as a child, I would go with my um, grandmother and one of my uncles, obviously, frequently to visit that grave site, uh, which bears my name, um, of course, his name. Um, And uh, I would stand as a child among the sea, of military graves at Pine Lawn National Cemetery in Long Island. It, it, it's, it's very impressive and overwhelming. But through my grandmother, lest my grandfather was very quiet about it, and my father, who, who never spoke about it, I saw the devastation and pain of war and its impact on, on a family. I, I think the loss of my uncle, his, his death, um, changed their relationships changed their life aspirations. And to some extent, although my grandmother was incredibly loving toward me, um, I think it it dimmed her enthusiasm for life. And and so I I, I don't want to start with a moment of like glory of of a heroic career. I I do want to say that uh, war has a terrible impact on people's lives forever. It's not just the you know, until the ceasefire or conclusion of conflict is announced, it is never ending for those people who've experienced all sorts of loss. And I'm sensitized to that. What's surprising is that I chose to become a combat medic. And it was after or during my service, I I found myself in the hospital for quite some time. Um, a, a, an ambush that didn't go as expected. And um and you no, know, that night I 
was brought in first to a military hospital and then shifted over to um, a, uh, a sort of a major medical center uh, for uh, continuation of care. And um, the the strange thing is, as I went back after almost a year of, of rehab, back to my military unit, went back to um, a, a frontline unit and asked to become a um, a combat medic, which I had to gently argue for, and um, and they agreed to. I graduated as the outstanding medic of my uh, class, and um, was sectioned off to um, a paratrooper unit of note, and um, that was very active. But my experience certainly gave me great medical knowledge. I was a very senior level medic. Uh, continued my um, studies, my my medicine studies through the military. And um, I, I also was sectioned off to work in emergency rooms and hospital centers at times for continuing medical education. So I got to see the provider system from inside the provider system. It wasn't a theoretical experience for me. I was in operating rooms. I was treating people in the ER. I was assisting in the um in the gi department as they did colonoscopies um and i i kind of picked up all that knowledge the patient's experience the provider's experience other allied health professionals i became part of that venue but but afterward when i was in a wartime situation i was forced to make some very difficult scary decisions and um you know, people know if you know those in the military know that combat medics have sadly, tragically, a much higher casualty rate than other soldiers, about 10% higher, because you know, you always see in the movies, you know, someone screaming out, medic. And um, and guess what? That medic has to stand up and run out and drag someone in and and begin to care for them. So they're targets. Uh, what I didn't realize is that my sense of compassion for all humanity, friend and foe, would be as um, significant as it became. And I found myself at times wo rescuing wounded enemy soldiers under fire and, and, you know, sort of dragging them back and trying to, um, triage, help and triage as, as much as I could. But that experience of treating people whose language I don't understand, um, taught me something invaluable that stays with me to this very day, which is, um, people people want to survive. You know, people do not want to die. They want to survive. And and the language of healing is is like uh, Esperanto. It's an international language that, you know, though they didn't know my language and I didn't know their language, they could see from my engagement that I was there to help them. I wasn't there to harm them. They The, the tension dropped. Um, and their experience is embedded or implanted in my sort of psyche today. And um, I, I can't escape from that. Um, I don't want to escape from that. But when there was periods of ceasefire, I I spent time going into civilian areas that had been hit, damaged, and realized there were mothers and children who needed medical care and, um, and made sure that we could provide that care on the spot. Uh, sometimes it was injuries. Sometimes it was, you know, illness. There's issues of of food supply, water supply, that has to get to these people. 
And um, once again, I saw the desperate desire to survive. So those experiences, when we say from battlefield to boardroom, you, you can't shut those experiences out. They, they, they're, it, it's part of my, my. Um, it's interwoven into my you know, psychological makeup today, and I, I'm, I'm privileged to see this from the sense of what am I doing and how does it matter? Now, I, I do want to say as a communicator that what I saw, what the most important thing that began the process was people were trying to communicate to me and I was trying to communicate to them often in nonverbal language since we didn't understand each other. But I, I saw how important communication is and I saw how important decision-making is because you have to make decisions to keep people alive. It's not a consensus building process at times. And so I, to sort of accelerate it, I made a commitment that I really wanted to go into health communications and policy, very much so. It was a conscious decision at that point. So that's the genesis of it all. But I have to say, Greg, that that earlier experience gave me a bolus injection of courage. And you know, once you've sort of stood up to to go forward to help someone who's not wearing your uniform or flag, the, the decisions later on are easier in some regards. No one's going to kill me. Um, and if I make a bad decision or a wrong decision, I'll make another decision, but I'm not going to die from that. And I tell people, you're not going to die. Just make another decision. Have, have the wisdom to realize you need to course correct quickly. And don't stick with it or justify it or defend it. The The ability to move forward or start a career anew, uh, when I entered into this discipline, a lot of my colleagues had started just after college. Well, I spent six years in the military. I was older. I was like a 30-year-old. They were a 22-year-old. We were both started as AAEs or junior AEs in the profession. And I really saw the world through their eyes because I was there, right? I was having the same experience. And it made me have a great appreciation for the fact that all people have great ideas. Uh, all people are trying to do their best. And that as we get a little you know, white around the muzzle, as I am today, thankfully, I respect the fact that I am accountable to other people of all ages, of all titles, of all positions within the enterprise. I'm accountable to them. As any leader is, um, they're not there for me. I am there for them. And I think that experience or that military experience of commanding under difficult situations gave me confidence in being a leader. And at the same time, re-entering the work world as, um, as a 30-year-old gave me a sense that People have feelings, and um, they don't want to be dismissed, and it's important to keep them in mind. So th kind of that's the genesis. I guess that helped me get to the boardroom was with, with those experiences and a willingness to take ownership. You know, in the military, Greg, they, there are no excuses. Like, why didn't this happen? You know, there is no, well, they didn't deliver it on time, or um, you didn't give me clear directions. They don't want that. You know, you're responsible, you're accountable. So I think that was helpful as well. Thank you, Gil. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Health Here Now Radio. Today, on a very special edition, we chat with Gil Bash, a man who wears many hats or caps, 
in his leadership from at Finn Partners, a leading marketing and communications agency serving the health, wellness, pharma, and biotech space, to his role as editor-in-chief of Medical Life and the principal co-host of this broadcast. Stay tuned for more engaging conversation. Your early motivation, vision, uh, values, rooted in family, pivoting into the military theater, you then sort of framed sort of with the exposure and experience of the, the the power of the will to live, that people want to live and that you are there in that situation to help them and they get it. So you're, yeah, you're all inspired. We, we all are all inspired to want to live. Uh, that's a good thing. So how did you frame that experience seated uh, in the family? And then as you embarked out on your life to frame it in terms of um, health communications, that particular space, uh, health communications in, in the healthcare space. How did, how did that come together? You know, I, I thought of a career in medicine, actually. I, I chose to go into health policy uh, specifically. I you know, started my career actually as a, um, in a trade association for the New Jersey-based research industry called the New Jersey Health Products Council that, that really did with the, you know, the research-based aspect of health industry, uh, served as a lobbyist there, state lobbyist in the state of New Jersey initially, and and then went off and created my own um, agency that was very successful, thankfully, um, due to a lot of many good people working with me. Um, that was acquired by a large organization. I became a leader in the large organization. I, I left there to go to a large organization. I became a leader in that large organization and became then um, CEO of All Health in uh, in the in the parent company, um, then went to private equity. That gave me a very good financial background, um, and then I decided, look, what I really love is 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 um, is leading a practice. Uh, you know, uh, that's where I get the most amount of satisfaction. I think I have the greatest impact. That evolved eventually, just fast moving, to an opportunity to meet Peter Finn, where he invited me to join Finn Partners, smaller organization. And now, of course, it's one of the world's most significant. You know, communications and integrated marketing firms. Um, he asked me to start a health practice. And today, of course, I'm grateful to all my colleagues. It's one of the leading health practices of the world. But um, I do want to say that Peter's had an, an influence on my life. I'm not a kid. Um, Peter and I are to the same age. He might be a kid. But um, you know, Peter is a pers person of great purpose. And I, I, um, I've always been a per person of purpose. But in the Finn environment, I was able to really comfortably externalize that mission and and push the envelope on that. Peter, in his daily life, pushes the envelope on purpose and social impact. Um, he lives it. He, he really is a case study in uh, how executives can change people's lives. So, you know, I'm privileged to work with him and work for him. And I'm, I'm privileged to know that I have a, a role model, in essence, in the CEO role, who, um, who shares my values and is a great example of those values. I know, Greg, you wanted to talk a little bit about my recent adventure, um, which makes Peter sometimes a little nervous. But as, as you know well, uh, some of our listeners know, is I've just come back from about a week in Ukraine. Um, and you know something I do every year, at least every year, um, where I'm part of the organization of a gathering that takes place there that attracts, you know, used to attract far fewer. This year it attracted about 37,000 people who came into this one area of Ukraine. And I'm 
uh, fortunate to be one of the organizers in um, in the English speaking community of that uh, of that gathering. But what I've been sharing, I uh, share with our listeners, is the uh, public health ramifications of the war, um, the uncalled for war, the aggression of Russia against Ukraine, and its impact on Ukrainians, and um, their determination and their resilience, but also the the challenges that they face, the families face. You know the you know we hear of course of the um, of the rockets, we hear of bombings um, against civilian targets. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. In April uh, of this year, um, the Russians launched about twenty missiles into the city I was in. Uh, claiming that they were hitting um, military reserves and stockpiles, uh, and yet all the casualties, scores of casualties, were only civilian, no military casualties, because there is no military presence in this particular city of 90,000. And and so what you see in a situation like this is resources are directed to the front, but the people are, are having to deal with the fact that they have to give their all to the um, defense effort of their country. So what you see is um, sewage, sewage teeming down the center streets. Uh, the pipes are not working appropriately. You see blackouts, um, you know, power goes down um, throughout the country. There's a curfew. Um, you know, when we could move and when we could move through the country is really set by that curfew. So I, I had to really plan um, explicitly my travel from place to place to to make sure I wasn't sort of out out in the middle of no place during the curfew, which ranges from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. or or midnight to 4 a.m., depending on where you are. So I had to negotiate all of that. Um, but I also saw people living their daily lives, going to the market and shopping for fruits and vegetables. Um, Ukraine is the breadbasket, actually, of of Europe and Africa. People forget that supplies of of needed grain is are uh, are not able to travel freely. Ports have been damaged. That means that people in Africa are suffering as a result of this war. It's really creating a global public health hazard of you no know, extraordinary proportion. But you know, I want to remind our listeners that health plays a very central role in every element of this. And you know, I think back to my days as a soldier, and I, I remember having to bring in water trucks to deal with the civilian population, of having to have food delivered on trucks for them, that um, to test water um, against chemicals and so forth so that it you know wouldn't cause issues. And I dealt with issues during this visit. You know, people had diarrhea. Um, you know, the, 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 you have to get you know some sort of bottled water aspect. So I'm very sensitive to all these issues, Greg. And I think that my sensitivity from the earlier days of my life to the recent days of my life um, make me a better health communicator. I understand that we're not dealing with theoretical information. We're dealing with people's lives. And I always um, express this to my colleagues throughout Finn Partners throughout the world. We have you know, 33 offices today. I express to the fact that communication is part of the care. Communication is part of the cure. That when when you know people who I you know rushed to in my earlier life would often ask me if they were going to die. The first thing I had to do after stemming bleeding, obviously making sure they were breathing, they were if they were talking to me, was answer their questions. 
And I understood that communication is always part of the process. And we always hear about um, patient and doctor relations where you know, the, the patient sort of says, the doctor didn't inform me, or I didn't get the information, or I didn't know this, or I didn't know that. I really want to emphasize to our listeners today that if you're in the field of medicine, or if you're in the field of marketing and communications, never, ever forget that at the other end of the conversation is someone who wants to be in the know. And I think that that um, was key to me this visit when I was dealing with people in Ukraine, that they really want to know. They want to know our support. They want to know when things are going to get fixed, when things are going to get better, when their children can feel that they have uh, safety and security. And I, um, I'm proud to be part of a, a community of health professionals. Of course, you, essential to that, Greg, that cares deeply about these issues, that sets an example for, um, for, for all that we cannot forget that health is intrinsic to government decisions, to our economy, to our well-being, to our safety and security. Well said, Gil, and thank you for the framing. Please touch on just briefly in the few minutes we have remaining on the interplay of health and environment, something I know that is close to you, and also from the standpoint of a purpose-driven practice within the marketing and communications domain. Touch on that. Um, we, our species, you know, seems to not recognize that we need to keep this planet healthy in order to sustain us. I just read that something like 90% of our air is, is polluted. Um, and, and when you think about the direction we're going, we, we have to course correct. As, as uh, Bill Gates has written, how do we avoid a climate disaster? We have to take it seriously, very seriously. And I know that um, President Biden mentioned that in his UN speech um, and also at the G20. So you know, I would say Echo Health is going to be a um, the nexus between technology and health delivery. Um, we, we really have to invest a lot more of our energy from a communication standpoint, from a policy standpoint, and yes, from an innovation standpoint on climate technology. We have to invest a lot more of our resources. But I just want to say in the seconds we have left that you know people here are cost, invest, cost. No, no, the opposite. Uh, I actually think these investments are going to be a boon to our economy. We're going to create um, clean jobs. We're going to create new industries. There's going to be investment. So the investment we're making from a governmental level is actually going to uh, stimulate um, our economy. And I think that we have to look at this not from the negative standpoint. Firstly, survival is very important to us. But we have to recognize that this is very much like the investment made in the biotech industry. The climate tech industry is going to really create um, wonderful economic opportunities for as, for many people, and it's going to, like the health industry, keep us alive healthily much longer. Well, there you have it. And anyone who's privileged to spend some time with you, as I have over the last two years, will come to understand why you are so passionate and so effective in what you do from a purpose-driven perspective. So, Gil, thank you. A huge thanks to our worldwide listeners for tuning in. That is the last word on today's melody. And our special guest, Gil Bash, a man who wears many hats, including principal host of this broadcast, his purpose-driven leadership at Finn Partners, to his role as editor-in-chief of Medical Life, a digital health platform dedicated to the global health community. For more information or to access on-demand replays of our work, go to healthcarenowradio.com. 
and select Help Unabashed from the Programs tab. We stream live three times a day, Monday through Friday at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, and 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., 11.30 p.m. Pacific. To keep tabs on Gil's work, go to the Health Unabashed page at healthcarenowradio.com. Stay social with Gil and me on Twitter, or X as some call it, at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and at Greg Masters, M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs. Don't forget to give your tweet some zing with our hashtag, Health Unabashed. Until we meet again, pursue your passion for better health with no apologies. <laughs>